In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And with a little bit of help from the Harborside production team, there was light. (laughs) Days two, three, four, five, and six, God creates a rhythm. He gets into the rhythm of speaking everything into existence. And the chorus, the repeated theme of what he says is, let there be. So let there be atmosphere. Let there be birds in the sky. Let there be creatures on the ground. Let there be the ocean. Let there be stars. Let there be moon. Let there be the sun. And then God changes the rhythm. God creates man, and he creates man totally different, totally different than he created everything else. And we read about this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. It says this, so God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created mankind in his own image. If you missed that, in the image of God, he created them. If you missed that, male and female, he created them. And then as we read a little further in chapter 2 and verse 7, it says this, Then God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Everything else he spoke into existence, but with man, he formed him, molded him. His creative inspiration was himself. He created man, male and female, in his own image and in his own likeness, and then breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living being. Now, what's really interesting is man's first job. One of the first things that God tells man to do, we find in chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every other beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So man's first job was to speak. Man's first job was to name all of the animals. So when God brought one of his creations to Adam, he said, Adam, what would you call this creature? And Adam said, oh, that's a tiger. And okay, it's a tiger. We will call this a tiger. And then God brought another creature and he said, Adam, what would you name this animal? And Adam said, oh, that's a giraffe. Giraffe, that's a cool name. All right, giraffe. And that was that creature's name. And then God said, Adam, what about this one? What would you name this one? And Adam said, oh, that's Bigfoot. (laughs) The search continues. (laughs) So what we can see very clearly Since the beginning of time itself, 
what we say matters. What we say has mattered since the beginning of time itself. You were created not to be, but to speak. Look at this imagery of God forming man. And as he forms man, he breathes into man's nostrils. And that's why we have life. He could have created man a different way because birds breathe and so do tigers and so do giraffes and so do animals. So he could have just spoken us into existence and we could have had all the abilities that we have. But I believe the differentiator was God breathed into man so that what was on the inside of God was now on the inside of man. And that created this moment. This moment where now God was not looking just as at a mirror copy of himself, something to just be uniform, but something that he could instruct, something that he could place responsibility, power, and authority over. And we see that man ruled over all of God's creation. What we say has mattered since the beginning of time itself. We've been in the series called Speak Life because what we say matters. And because God breathed into us and gave us this ability to speak, we see in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So death and life are in the power of the tongue. What you say matters. What you say about everything around you matters. What you say about other people matters. Today, I want to focus on what are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about yourself? We've been in the series and we've explained how we speak death. And over the last few weeks, Kurt has given several examples on how we speak death and has also led us into how we speak life. Today, I want to maybe go a step further in the how, in the practical of how do we speak life over ourselves. If we were created in the image and the likeness of God, how do we speak life over ourselves? I believe the answer to this is found in a couple of different places, but I believe there's no greater example of this than Jesus himself. If you want to talk about someone who made an incredible impact over the course of their life, if you want to talk about someone who bore the best possible fruit if you want to talk about the most successful man there had ever been, it is Jesus. And Jesus, with all the power and the authority, he was performing miracles. He was raised from the dead. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I do not have to fear over where we're going to spend eternity. If we go to Jesus, we will have eternal life. Incredible impact in 33 years of life. But this is what Jesus said about what he says and what he does. John chapter 12, verse 49. For I, this is Jesus speaking, have never spoken my own initiative or authority, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment regarding what to say and what to speak. Jesus, the most successful man there has ever been, who had all power and all authority, did not say or do anything that God hasn't said, told him to do, or God hasn't shown him to do. 
Jesus understood that what he says matters. And nothing he said and nothing he did was against what God had told him to say or do. I think this is important for us to know. It's important for us to know what God has said about us so that we can repeat what God has said. We can use the Jesus model of success. We can use the Jesus model of speaking life. And I believe that's the differentiator between speaking life and I guess you could call it toxic positivity. Um, A quick example of what I think toxic positivity might be is maybe it doesn't happen in your workplace. Maybe it's happened in another place. But uh, do you know that person that comes into work and they look real tired? They've got a fever. They've got a headache, runny nose. They're coughing. They're sneezing. Didn't get any sleep last night. And you're like, hey, man, are you sick? Nope, I'm great. I'm great. I'm awesome. <laughs> hey, uh, I think... Uh, you should take some day quill or something like that. Just take the rest of the day off, right? Uh, that, that, that's the difference. Uh, the, the difference isn't foregoing reality. The, the, the difference of speaking life does not mean that you don't see circumstances. That's not what we're saying. What it says is when we speak life, we position what God has said above our reality. So, yes, this is happening here but God reigns here. That's what speaking life is. So in order to change our world here, and most importantly, in order to change ourselves, we have to understand what does God have to say about us? Now, when I was in the third grade in uh, my PE class, I cannot remember my PE teacher's name. I remember every other teacher in elementary school except my PE teacher, but I remember third, fourth, or fifth grade, we learned very simply that we were uh, created, designed with these different parts of our body, and very simply, they explained it was your head, your trunk, and then your appendages, meaning you were created with a head, with a torso, and then your appendages, your hands and your feet. And so I want to look at how we were created and crafted and designed by God, because I don't think that's an accident. I don't know why we don't have four hands and six feet. I don't know why, but I know that we were created in the image and likeness of God. And so I want to look at what does God have to say about our mind? What does God have to say about what we think? What, What does God have to say about our heart? What does he have to say about how we feel? Uh, What does God have to say about our hands? Or what does God have to say about what we do? And what does God have to say about our feet? Or what does God have to say about where we go? And so today we're going to look at how do we speak life? How do we echo what God is saying over our mind, our heart, our hands, and our feet? Now, we were just singing a few uh, worship songs today, and our worship team did an absolutely incredible job with the interns who led this whole Sunday morning, which is amazing. And um, if you've noticed, if you're musically inclined, you may know this, but if you're not, a quick music lesson for you. Every song is written with a few different components. I would argue to say the most important component of the song is what's called the chorus. The chorus of the song is the most repeated part of the song. So if you have a theme that you're writing a song in, your chorus is going to repeat that theme over and over and over again. So one of our original songs that our team wrote is called Yahweh. So what was the chorus of Yahweh? Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh. 
That's the chorus of the song. So when you think about that song in a few days, you're going to think about Yahweh. All right. That's why it was written. So the chorus is the most repeated part of the song. If I were to take a microphone and a recorder and I set it to 24 hour continuous recording and I sat it next to you and it was around you for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, what would be the chorus of your life? What would be the chorus of what you're saying over yourself? What would be the most repeated thing that you say over your mind, over your heart, over your hands, and over your feet? You see, I believe today we are going to learn how to sing the song of the Lord. As he created everything and he spoke everything into existence, he created it with a rhythm. Let there be light. Let there be sun. Let there be moon. Let there be stars. I believe God was singing everything into existence, breathed into us so that we can then echo this chorus over what he has said about us. So let's first take the mind. Let's take the mind. And the mind is a very interesting thing. And, and for, the, for the medical professionals in the room, I understand that feelings and emotions aren't necessarily in the heart, but maybe more so in the mind with the amygdala and all that stuff. Just bear with me, okay? Just say we're, we're using this as an illustration kind of thing, all right? So when we look at the mind, what I want to talk about specifically here is your thoughts. Are you struggling with your thoughts? Are you struggling with anxiety? Are you struggling with fear? Do those things weigh you down? You know, what's very interesting is, and Kurt said this, but I I watch the news, and and Kurt said he watches the news as well too. We read newspapers. We want to know what's going on. We believe that's very, very important. Now, we can't let that drive us, though. We really can't let that drive us because, again, God has to be the ultimate authority. But you know what's interesting is if I watch something on the news at night, let's say, and then I wake up the next day as I'm going throughout my day, I can usually tell which news channel people were watching because that's what's coming out of their mouths all day the next day. What are you repeating? What's the chorus of your life? What is the chorus over your mind? Because if I'm honest, if we look at our society, if we look at what's going to grab your attention, if we look at how we get better ratings with clicks on social media and also views and viewers on all media channels, we understand that fear sells. Fear sells. And so if you're here and you have a clouded mind and maybe you've been struggling with fear that has gripped your mind, there is a promise of scripture that I want to remind you of. And it says this in 2 Timothy Chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So when fear clouds your mind, and we're going to talk about fear in just a a few moments, but when fear clouds your mind, that's not from God. When fear enters into your mind, That's not from God. What's from God is power, is love, and it's a sound mind. When your mind is filled with power, 
that's from God. When your mind is filled with love, that's from God. When your mind is sound, that's from God. So how, what do we do? What are we supposed to say over our minds? What God has said over our minds. As image bearers, we don't have to be consumed or distracted by what we hear. You were designed with a sound mind. God's original intention for you is that you would have a mind that is not clouded by fear or anxiety, but it would be peaceful, full of power and love, and it would be sound. And so that's the head, but what about, what about the heart? As we go to the torso, and let's talk a little bit about the emotions that we feel. And I, I, I want to get specific here, because if we're honest, over the last few years, many of us have experienced great loss. And sometimes it's very difficult to go through seasons of mourning. Sometimes it's incredibly hard to look beyond pain. Many of you in this room and online, over the last few years, you've experienced the loss of a mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, a loved one, a friend, even a child. And I want to be careful because the promise of God is not that you can grit your teeth and get past it. I, I think there have been people who have mistaken this, and in hopes of giving you positive feedback, they haven't spoken life. You weren't designed to grit your teeth and endure this. Let me say it in a different way. There's this pastor who I've been watching for about 11 years now. Around 2011, I started watching his sermons, and his church and his ministry has just ballooned. It's gotten a global exposure, and it's just been incredible what God has done. And they've experienced so many miracles and so many testimonies, doctor-confirmed miracles in their church. It's been absolutely amazing. Well, the lead pastor... Um, and his wife were the ones leading the church, and they'd been married for 49 years. And a few years ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. And so everything about what she was doing in her diet, health, exercise, absolutely top-notch, the best you can do. And they were compounding that with prayer, 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 prayer. And he even called on the whole global church, hey, if you have some time, if you don't mind, join with us in prayer because we're believing for complete healing over my wife. Just a few weeks ago, his wife passed away. And she passed away on a Thursday. And in the midst of the grieving, this pastor got up on Sunday and preached a sermon just three days later. And one of the most impactful things, I mean, the whole sermon was rich with nuggets, but one of the most impactful things, he said it better than I could ever say it. Fighting through the pain that he was experiencing, he said, you know, the disciples, when Jesus had died, they were in mourning. And when Jesus appeared to Mary and said, tell the disciples I'm alive, she ran and told the disciples and they did not believe her because their mourning was so bad. Their grief was so bad. And so sometimes if we're not careful, our mourning will lead us to unbelief. But here is the promise of the scriptures. Matthew 5 and verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
The hope for you today is that you can mourn with hope. I want to be clear because I think sometimes well-intentioned people, Christians, maybe even pastors, have sometimes made those of you who are mourning feel like because you're grieving and because you're sad that you've lost your faith. And I just don't see that in Scripture. If you're looking for a memory verse, one that I learned very quickly was John 11:35. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words, Jesus wept. If you read the full chapter, the reason why Jesus wept is because someone he loved, Lazarus, Lazarus had died. And he knew Lazarus was sick and about to die and everybody was saying, Jesus, we need you to come here and heal him. He says, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then Lazarus died. Now, Jesus still resurrected Lazarus and Lazarus was fine. But before he did that, Jesus wept. Full of faith, full of power, the son of God wept for Lazarus and then raised him from the dead. You're not sinning if you're mourning. You haven't lost your faith if you're mourning. The lie that may have been crept into your mind is that you can't have hope in your mourning. I'm here to tell you that you will be blessed as you mourn because you will be comforted. So as you're mourning, you speak life over your heart that God will comfort me. God will comfort me. Lord, I receive your comfort. So as image bearers, even as you mourn, you were designed with a heart that will be comforted. Now, now let's talk about the hands. We've talked about the mind. We've talked about the heart. Let's talk about the hands. And I think this represents the things that we do. Um, full disclosure here. Uh, you know, in high school, I could be motivated to do the things that I really love doing. And then there were other things that I just wasn't really that motivated to do. Um, my room being clean was not a high priority for me when I was in high school. It wasn't something that I woke up every day to hope to achieve. Um, and then there were some classes, uh, some subjects that I loved. You didn't have to tell me anything. I knew everything. I was attentive. I did all my homework because I just loved it. But then there were some other subjects that were just really rough and tough. And so uh, there have been a couple of times where I woke up in the morning and I had a test that day and I didn't study the night before. And um, so you wake up bowing at the feet of Jesus. And, um, <laughs> and um, speaking life doesn't mean that what you do is you wake up in the morning. Let's say if I was trying to speak life uh, over my uh, hands, I don't get up that morning and say, hands, you will select the correct answers and the correct answers only. Hands, you will not waver to the left or to the right, but you will be straight and on this narrow path. Hands, you will remember what year Johann Gutenberg invented the printing press. Hands, you will select only the right. As that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, I, what we're talking about is a posture. Here, here's what I'm talking about. Psalm 128 verse 2 says this. This is an incredible promise. You will eat the fruit of your labor, the work of your hands. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. But that's verse 2. 
That's waking up in the morning and grabbing on verse 2. Let's not forget the study guide. So as you're circling verse 2, go all the way up to verse 1. Let's read verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Circle both of those verses. What is it saying here? I, if, if I was here, I, I would say um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a cynic sometimes. I'm on, I'm on the edge of a cynic. So if I'm sitting here in this room, I'm at this point in my mind, I'm like, this preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. He just said, God did not give you a spirit of fear. And then now he's saying, blessed are you if you fear the Lord. What's up with that, right? So for those of you in the room who are thinking that, I want you to understand when the Bible is talking about this, these are two different types of fear. We, we could categorize it as a fear of man and a fear of the Lord. Two completely different things. The fear of the Lord is talking about reverence. The fear of the Lord is talking about reverence to God. It is not talking about, oh my goodness, no, let's not worship so the presence of God get here because he might smite me. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the reverence. When God enters into a space, everything else is still because you're reverent of the power and the presence of God. Uh, in, in the chapel, so many different weddings that happen, and I can tell you the moment when everybody's standing waiting for the bride and the doors open up, there is a reverence for the moment. That's what we're talking about here. So blessed is the person who learns to fear the Lord. Because a lot of times, I think, when it comes to the works of our hands, and this could represent anything. This could represent your, your business. We have a lot of businessmen and women here in this room. We have doctors and physicians. We have moms and dads. Anything that you do with your hands, we have graphic designers and creatives and all kinds of people in this room. The works of your hands. I think a lot of times what we've done is we've thought that success, and we've heard that success is what we can do with our hands this way. What the scriptures tell us is that you will be blessed and prosperous if you can learn to posture your hands this way. Blessed is the person who fears the Lord, who walks in obedience to him. You will be blessed. You will be prosperous. You see, what does God have to say about our hands? What God has to say is that there is an order in how we work. We go from worship to work. We don't start at work and then try to worship, no. I wouldn't start your day without worship. I wouldn't walk into your office until you worshiped. I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't wake your kids up out of bed until you worshiped. Because once you do that, then the works of your hands will be blessed and prosperous. And God does want you to be blessed. He does. And then... What we can deduce from this is as you commit the work of your hands to the Lord, you can be confident that as an image bearer, your hands will be blessed and prosperous. You were created with a head, a trunk, and appendages, with a mind, with a heart, with hands, and with feet. What you think, what you feel, what you do, but then also where you go. Also where your feet may lead you. Also where you walk. Your future. God designed you to move. God designed you to speak life over where you go as well. When you look at the stage this morning, what you see is a whole generation of young people 
who have spent the last two months saturated in the presence of God, learning spirit skills and practical skills. Game changer. I think a lot of times what keeps us and what trips us up when we talk about our future is probably the things that we heard when we were their age and younger. And if we're honest, the chorus over our lives about what we have said about our future or what other people have said about our future has not been great. And sometimes those words of, you won't make it, your grandfather was this, your father was this, therefore you will be this. This is just in our family. This is what we typically do. And so now there's no hope in the future. Now every step that you take, every single step that you take, you're thinking, well, when is it all gonna go down? When am I gonna trip up? It's not an if, but it's a when because this is what always happens. Nobody in my family has lived past 60. Nobody in my family has lived past 65. This is just what it's gonna be. Who told you that? The chorus of your life is not what you've heard. It's what God has said. God created you with a mind, with a body, with hands and with feet. Over what you think, over how you feel, what you do and where you go, there is a promise for you. And I want to read Psalm 37, verse 23. It says this, The steps of a good and righteous man are directed and established by the Lord, and he delights in his way and blesses his path. So what does God have to say about your feet, about your future? What is your responsibility? What do you repeat over your feet and over your future? That as an image bearer, your future is secure, it's firm, and it's established. I know what other people have said, and I know you've memorized what other people have said. I'd like you to memorize what God has said. Your future is secure, it is firm, and it is established. You know, there was a moment in time in my life where um, I think it was anxiety, maybe it was a little bit of fear, maybe it was a combination of, of both. Whatever it was, I didn't have peace. And as I would think about something to come, all I would think about is what could go wrong and what could not work out. And one time I was just in my secret place time praying and I, I believe God spoke to me and I believe he whispered in my ear and I believe what he said was, well, what if it all works out? I had never considered. Well, what if it all works out? Now, that's a very simple thing and a very simple phrase, but I know for some of you in this room, that might be the game changer. That may be the difference from today and tomorrow, is meditating and speaking over your feet, what if it all works out? Yeah, I know what could happen if it does, but what if it does? I think that's the moment and that's the point that we pray. And that's the moment and point that we worship. I believe we worship from that place. I don't believe we worship from the place of what if it doesn't. No, the hope is that over our minds, over how we feel, over what we do and where we go, that God has designed us as image bearers with this body, with promises to prosper us. What if it all works out? What if it all works out? Your future is secure. It's firm 
and it is established. Um, in a moment, we're going to do something. We're going to do a little bit of prayer. We're going to do a little bit of worship. Um, but why don't you stand and grab your communion elements? going to take communion first, and then we're just going to spend a little bit of time to repeat the chorus over ourselves. We're going to spend a little bit of time getting this into our minds and into our memory. We're going to practice this. I want to make this practical. I want you to walk out today. The hope and the goal, what I've been praying for, is that you would walk out today with a simple step, something that you can repeat something that you can do. But when we think about communion, when we think about what Jesus has done, and when we think about his body, and when we think about his blood, the crown of thorns on his head, over his mind, the lashes on his torso, his pierced side, when we think about the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet, over what you think, how you feel, what you do, and where you go, Jesus died so you can have hope. So as we take the bread, let's remember that in all those areas of our life, our promise is peace and with hope because of Jesus. And as we take the juice that represents his blood, the Bible said that he was so beaten that he was unrecognizable. And I personally believe that's because he took on the form of all of us. And his blood covered all of our sin. And so as we drink, let's remember this promise. And so to end today, we're going to pray and we're going to worship. Our team is going to lead us into a chorus. If you know the song, sing it out with your whole heart. They're going to sing, and we're going to take a moment and pray. And then they're going to sing again, and then we're going to take a moment and pray. Sing again, and we'll take a moment and pray. Let's press in to the power and the presence of God. And Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone Every breath that I take Every moment I'm awake Lord, have your way in me Over your mind God chose to not just speak your mind into existence But to mold it and I believe in this moment, he is saying, let there be life over your mind. Let there be life over your mind. And so if you would take one hand or both hands and put it over your mind in this moment, Lord, we are asking that over the mind of the people that are here, specifically an individual, I pray that there is peace. I pray that there is calm. I pray that there is hope. 
I pray, Lord, over the mind that there is a sound mind spirit that is flooding this place. I pray that there is a spirit of power that is invading the minds. I pray that there is a spirit of love that's invading the minds. In Jesus' name, let's sing. over our hearts, Lord, we repent for mourning without you. We repent for mourning without the presence of hope, but no longer. Lord, we are asking you to fill our hearts with comfort, to fill our hearts with peace in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray even the people who are watching us online right now, that you are filling their hearts with hope and comfort and peace. Let us feel your presence. Let us feel your power. Let us feel your hope. And let us feel your love in Jesus' name. And Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I I live for you alone, every breath that I take, and every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Let there be life over our hands, let there be life over our hands. God, forgive us for trying to do with our hands the work before we worshiped, Lord, no longer. Lord, we are making the decision to worship you first. We put you above the present reality. We put you above all the fears and all the concerns. We put you in your rightful place as Lord over lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's worship some more. And Lord, I give you my heart. Sing it out. I give you my our destiny over what happens tomorrow and the next week, the next month, and the next year. What if it all works out? I know what everybody else is saying, but what if it all works out? How would you praise God if it all worked out? How would you worship if it all worked out? Let's sing. Let's worship. We commit it to you, God. So, Lord, I give you my heart, and I give you my
think, over what we feel, over what we do, and over where we go. We go with the power and the presence and the authority of God. Lord, we commit our minds, our hearts, our hands, and our feet to you. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, church.